Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Nerd to the Third Power, your one-stop shop for all things nerdy and awesome. I'm your host, Master Ceremonies, Dr. Gonzo. With me, as, as always, in this epic quest of awesomeness is our resident anime goddess, the cat. Cat, how you doing? I'm alive. Woo. Oh, God. I'm so tired. Well, for a given def- definition of, it seems. Yeah, well... Well, I uh, I moved this weekend, so I'm currently podcasting um, from my floor. My laptop and my microphone are both on top of boxes, um, and that's the state of the union. Okay. <laughs> that's the state of the apartment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and in our correspondence corner, we have Brian and John. How are you guys this week? I'm doing all right. I had sort of a I've had a couple days off from work, and God, did I need it? We can tell. John, how about you? Uh, well, I'm fighting off a sinus infection, and today is my first day off of work in, um, uh, several, several days. But I am hanging in there, I am alive, you know, for, you know, whatever passes for alive for me. Okay, well, we got a, we got a great show tonight. Tonight we are, we're, we're going from the, from one extreme to another tonight, from the disappointing mess that was Ratchet and Clank, we go to the sheer unbridled awesomeness that is Captain America Civil War, which we are all very much looking forward to talking about tonight. But of course, there is procedure to follow, so we are going to begin, as always, with Ask a Geek, and we got some good questions here. Uh, we, first off, we got from the email two questions from Lawrence. Uh, the first is for Cat, and he asks, "Who do you think is the most influential anime or manga artist ever?" Um, like, do you expect me to say anything other than Osamu Tezuka because it's Tezuka? Um, it just is. Like, I know there's other people out there who have been very influential especially, um, like, modern uh, animators and stuff like that, but it's Tezuka. Um, You know, this is the creator of, you know, Kimba the White Lion and uh, Astro Boy and all those other older, you know, what we would consider, like, the most classic of classics. Um, Tezuka was basically, like, the Disney of Japan. Um, All that we have now is basically because of Tezuka. In, in the beginning, there was nothing, and then Tezuka said, let it be so. Yes. And, yay, it was. <laughs> okay, and he's got a second question. This one's addressed to all of us. Who do we each think is the uh, the most talented voice actor to ever ply the craft? Ooh. <laughs> ever ply, you say. Now, that broadens up. That opens up some possibilities. Um... <clears throat> I don't know if I would say he's the most talented one ever, per se, but my personal favorite voice actor of all time has got to be Paul Frees. Um, He's definitely way, way up there. For anyone who's not familiar with him, uh, well, if you go to Disney World or Disneyland, you'll hear him narrating The Haunted Mansion. Uh, If you watch Rocky and Bullwinkle, you'll hear his voice in several different characters, uh, most famously Boris of Boris and Natasha. Uh, you, he's the original voice of Ludwig von Drake, too, in all those old Disney specials, that, that kind of, like, Professor Duck sort of guy. It was also all over a bunch of Rankin-Bass specials. He's done a lot of things, is what I'm saying. I always really liked his voice. He was a cool guy. Okay. My answer would be, uh, Mel Blanc. Uh, because if you name any, uh, character from a theatrical short from the 1930s up to, say, the mid-1950s, chances are he has voiced that character at, uh, some point. Uh, in his career, 
Uh, it really says something that one time when he was in the hospital for a uh, procedure, they brought the recording equipment to the hospital for him to do his recording because he was just that in demand. Uh, so <laughs> my answer would be Mel Blanc. Kat, what about you? Uh, this one's really tough for me because um, I have so many voice actors who I like, but I don't think that they're necessarily the the best to ever ply the trade. Um, I, I think... Uh, um, I'll leave you guys to talk about the American actors. Um, so I'll talk about some of the Japanese people. Um, my favorite voice actor is um, Sekitomokazu, but I think uh, he's probably beaten out slightly talent-wise um, by uh, Koyasu Takahito, who has a very distinctive voice, very like deep, distinctive voice. But the things that he manages to do with that are really diverse, which I think is pretty good. Um, but recently I have become extremely impressed um, by Miyano Mamoru, who was a light in Death Note. But then he also plays like Tamaki in Oran High School Host Club. And he has these he has so much energy when he acts, it's insane. Um, and if you've never heard him in Gotcha Man Crowds, it is the most impressive uh, bit of voice acting I've pretty much ever heard in my life. That voice cast is like beyond compare, but he very specifically just knocks it out of the ballpark in that show. Okay. Brian, what about you? I mean, it, this is a very tough question. I guess I would might go with uh, Frank Walken just because he has such range in the characters that he's played and not only just the characters he plays also if you need an animal voice you call him up because he also did the lion roars for lion king just remember that uh or some of them anyway so it the idea of going yes i can be a mecha uh, a maniacal world dominating robot yes i can be this teenager that rides around in a van with a talking dog and also i make a lion roar it's like that's that's impressive i I, I have to ask, did you say Frank Walken instead That's of Frank That's what I Walken? heard. I was did, I, did I say Frank Walken? You did, because I'm picturing this amazing fusion of Christopher Walken and Frank Wilker. I might point. have said it. I'm, I'm... Could, you, could you imagine that, that, that fusion voicing like Megatron? <laughs> Optimus Prime, you will give me the Matrix of Leadership. Is he, is I can he, imagine it. It doesn't sound very much like what you just did, but yeah, I can I mean, imagine I it. Say, like, it sounds like a guy just stuck on the toilet, unfortunately. Well, <laughs> to, 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 to do, in order for me to accurately do Frank Welker's Megatron voice, I would have to have laryngitis for like six years straight. Yes. But, yeah, so yeah, uh, so apparently I said the wrong name, but hey, we figured it out anyway. Okay. I also want to give Success. an. Uh, I also want to give an honorable uh, shout out to June Foray, who's uh, like ninety and still doing voice acting jobs. So, oh, absolutely! Uh, you know, I since you mentioned her, I got to say one thing about her. Chuck Jones had this uh, this quote to say about her because he felt like she was underappreciated. He said that a lot of people said that June Foray was like the female Mel Blanc in terms of her versatility of her voice. But he's like, in my opinion, Mel Blanc was the male June Foray. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, okay. So let's see, next question here. Uh, this one comes from Barry, again from the email. And this one's for Brian. And he asks... Uh, this is one that just came in today. With the s successful adaptation of Civil War to cinema, what are some comic book storylines that you think Marvel should plumb for future films? Well, I mean, 
Well, I can go back and forth between if this was successful from Marvel's standpoint because they changed a lot of the story, but that's neither here nor there. and probably get into it a little bit later. Um, for, I mean, and they're going to be doing the, what I can only assume is that they've been planning for the last, you know, almost 10 years, uh, the Infinite Gauntlet. So that's another one they're going to be uh, sort of bringing together. Um, it, I mean, it really depends. There's several stories that you could possibly do that are pretty well known and pretty well and easy that you could probably adapt to. Uh, I unfortunately, when you ask this question, all of them come into my head and then I immediately forget them. Uh, but the the biggest one is I want to see what they actually do with the Infinite Gauntlet. That's that's the one they've sort of been building. Like I said, they've been building up to it the last several years. I want to see what they can do with that first before I can say, all right, let's then do. Uh, Secret Invasion, which they can't do until they get the rights for the Skrulls back. But, you know, that's another good concept. Uh, even though it's another alien invasion, which they've done uh, in both Avengers and also in Thor, the Dark World, now that I remember it. But, hey, alien invasion is usually a good story to go with. Okay, okay, alright. And, uh, let's see. Uh, another one here, this one's from Paul from the email, and this one's for me. And uh, he asks uh, a question about uh, what do I think about the announcement of Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, and I say, I would love to see another Red Dead Redemption game. You know what else I'd love to see? I'd love to see Red Dead Redemption ported to the fucking PC. Because that game was amazing, but it's I, I really want to play it again, but I have to dig out my Xbox 360 from my storage closet in order to play it. And I really don't want to have to venture into that den of spiders and other nastiness. Uh because I, it's been yonks since I've cleaned out my storage closet. But uh, no, Red Dead Redemption. For those who don't know, it was a, a west. It was a western themed uh, Grand Theft. It was a Grand Theft Auto style game, but it was uh, it was a western. It was you know cowboys and Indians kind of thing. Which uh, I would love to see more games explore the old west as a as a setting. And Red Dead Redemption just knocked it out of the park. So I'm really excited that uh, they've announced that a second one is uh, at least being considered. I don't know if it's actually been greenlit and is being developed, but another Red Dead game would be awesome. And I would would love it. I would love it so. Okay, and uh, that's about all the Ask the Geek questions that we have for this week. We're going to kind of shorten the segment a little bit this week because we have a lot to talk about with Civil War. But uh, as always, you can send your questions to us through the email at drgonzo at nerdofthethirdpower.com. Or if you're one of our Facebook faithful, we have a permanent Facebook thread that you can post your questions to. We love hearing from you guys, love reading your questions on the air. So yeah, get those questions in. And so with that, we're going to see right into the meat and potatoes of this episode, which is our discussion of Captain America Civil War. Uh, very hotly anticipated film, and uh, the probably the, the, the best film that we've uh, had to, that we've reviewed for the show since Deadpool. Although, given some of the stuff that we've had to review in the interim, you know, not really a high bar to clear. Uh, so, yeah, Civil War. Uh, start with our general thoughts. What did you guys think of uh, Civil War? Should we? Is it really Captain? I don't. I don't like the fact that it's Captain America Civil War because this isn't. This isn't an Avengers movie. Like almost every Avenger was there except for Hulk and Thor. Yeah, I mean that that that's uh, that's something that's been pointed out before. I think this isn't really Cap's movie per se. Not not the way the first two Captain America movies were, at the very least. I mean, th- this was an ensemble movie, and he kind of he kind of split main character duty really between uh, him and Iron Man. Yeah, I actually kind of thought it was not quite a Cap movie, but not quite an Avenger movie. It was straight up <clears throat> Cap versus Iron Man movie. Yeah, pretty much. 
I mean, it's not not to say that wasn't like a bad thing because that right. relationship has always been tedious at best. Um, I think when the you know first trailer ten- ten- tenuous tenuous is the word <laughs> tedious means boring, and this movie was anything but. All right, any, anything else you're going to interrupt me with there over there? Huh? Anything? <laughs> interrupt us, Maximus. I like trains. Good job. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but in in any sense that like we know for a fact because when the first trailer came out, um, he's like, I was. He goes, he's my friend because he was going after the Winter Soldier. And Tony said, "Well, so was I." A lot of people were like, you're "Not really. <laughs> you're not. You're not a good friend, Tony." <laughs> okay, so so let's uh, start the show just with our, our general thoughts on the film. So, how did you guys like this film? Who wants to go first? Very much. Very very <laughs> much. Cat goes first. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, um, I I loved it. Um, I thought. It's probably the weakest out of the Captain America films, but that didn't make it any less enjoyable. It, it's funny you say that because I've been thinking uh, that the uh, lately I've been thinking that the Captain America series one, two, and three is as a series probably the strongest uh, of the solo Avengers character movies because I liked I have liked all three of the Captain America movies, which is more than I can say for Iron Man or Thor. Uh, well, I can't say that about Thor since the third Thor movie isn't, you know, out. But, um, <clears throat> no, I uh, I liked it. I mean, it was punchy. It was kicky. It was fighting. Enjoyable. It was fighting. That's all we want to see is fights. No, I mean, fighting, I, clawing, I, I, I liked it. I was, I was concerned because it was the Civil War storyline, and I've made no secret that I do not like that storyline whatsoever in the comic books. So to see it at a, sort of translated into a film... I sat there very, very tense in my chair going, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Um, and they definitely sidestepped a lot of the pratfalls of the comic had. They did change them, sing things around that made more sense. They actually made the story a little bit better. And I think that might have been because this, they had a small cast, a smaller cast than an actual comic book universe. Because in the whole comic book universe, it was universe, you know, one side versus another side. So you had like 50-some-odd characters here, 50-some-odd characters here. This one, you know, they trimmed it down. It was easier to tell, easier to follow through. Character motivations made way more sense this time around. The arguments made a little bit more sense this time around. You can see the conflict and where it was all coming from and going. And you don't have the third contingent of fans going, who cares, you're all fucked when the Hulk gets back. <laughs> It's it's kind of funny. One of the reasons why I I noticed there was a major difference between this and the comic storyline is I've been thinking a little bit lately about how the the Marvel Comics universe and the Marvel Cinematic Universe are kind of built a little fundamentally differently. I mean, in the... The Comics Universe is much more of a straightforward superhero universe where you have a bunch of superpowered individuals with costumes and secret identities and stuff like that. That's why it was such a, a big deal in the Civil War storyline when Spider-Man, you know, unmasked himself on live TV. But in the Cinematic Universe, secret identities and, uh, like like, private vigilante heroes aren't as much of a thing. I mean, everybody knows that Iron Man is Tony Stark, everybody knows that Cap is Steve Rogers, etc., etc., and most of them have been working through most of the series kind of in conjunction with S.H.I.E.L.D., which, you know, gives them this weirdly official, yet still kind of unofficial, yet still kind of official status. 
And I mean, Shield is gone now, which is you know probably a big part of the catalyst. <clears throat> <clears throat> Phil oh yeah, Col- that's right. Phil Coulson would disagree with you vehemently, sir. <laughs> Coulson lives. <laughs> I still need. I still need to watch that show. Be careful what you speak, lest Clark Gregg appear in the studio and slap you silly. <laughs> I would be very, very honored. <laughs> <laughs> I would thank him. I have been slapped by much, much less famous hands. <laughs> The correct response when Clark Gregg slaps you is, Thank you, sir. May I have another? <laughs> uh, my personal thoughts on, uh, on, on Civil War. I, I kind of disagree a bit with, with Kat. I feel like this is actually the strongest Captain America uh, film. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the many who feels, that the, the, it feels like the Captain America films have gotten stronger with each installment. Um, that said, if they do try and do a Cap 4, my God, this is going to be... Either way, this is going to be a tough act to follow. Um... I really liked that uh, they man that one of the things I liked was that both sides in this film had legitimate points, uh, whereas in the comic series I felt like nobody had legitimate points. It was like if I if I really if I had to describe the, the my thoughts in the comic series, it's one side going douche 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 douche, the other side going turd 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 turd, and Sally Floyd going MySpace. And, and well, it goes back to John talking about how they've been set up differently. So, like in this film, um, instead of having a superhero registration act, they it was a UN sanction because of some of the events that happened very early on with Crossbones and then Scarlet Witch. Because Crossbones tried to blow himself up, Scarlet stopped him, but sent him up in the air. But it took out a building, and unfortunately, took out lives uh, in the building. So it was a very real sort of consequence behind that. And this. Which I get- this sounds more realistic, I think, than a superhero registration act, because that was just doomed to fail no matter what. Well, I, yeah, suppose that, that, I suppose that sees us into the plot. So, Brian, tell us about the plot of Civil War. Uh, the plot of this Civil War was that uh, after following a... Or failing... Uh, not failing, but they successfully stopped Crossbones from who's in... Uh, who showed up after the events of Winter Soldier. Stopped them from stealing what I'm assuming was a virus or a bioweapon. Uh, in... I forget the country that they were in. Uh, and but in terms, unfortunately, lives, innocent lives were lost. This sort of started a little domino effect going through the Avengers, where um, General Ross shows back up talking about how the UN thinks they should have a sanction. So the Avengers work with the UN now. So the UN would tell them, you know, what missions they go on, what's considered, you know, correct or not correct. They they, they don't have so they don't have any boundaries. Tony's for this because Tony's feeling a lot of uh, guilt from, I'm going to assume, the first two Avenger films. Uh, and then they were showing up all the different like uh, innocent lives lost and things like that through, the, through their meeting. So he says, we should go through with this. It's the best course of decision so we can kind of keep ourselves in control. Uh, so half of the Avengers agree with them. War Machine, Vision, um, Black Widow. And they kind of point out Black Widow's sort of like... Yes, this is right, and they pointed out, well, well didn't you tell like, uh, you know, Washington D.C. and the politicians to go to hell a couple movies ago? But now she's sort of changing her mind, and then she changes back again. She's allowed to do that. She's Black Widow. <laughs> <laughs> she's looking out for number one. Yeah, uh, and so eventually, what happens is that when they go through the sanction, the sanction in Vienna, uh, the UN in Vienna gets bombed, but what they think is Winter Soldier. So now the chase is on to find Winter Soldier. Now Steve. You know, been looking for Winter Soldier, uh, Bucky, for about two years now. So he's trying to find Bucky to see what's what's actually going on, and make sure he doesn't get killed because he's his friend. 
Iron Man in the UN, they want Bucky because uh, he's been out and about for too long. And this leads to a lot of different conflict. But what's going on behind the scenes is that they're sort of getting manipulated by a new villain of Zemo. Who we find out later through on the film, spoilers, that his family was killed during uh, Age of Ultron. And so he's, instead of going out and just killing the team, like you think a villain would do, he actually sets up all these different events so he can break up the Avengers and have the Avengers kill one another. So that's where a lot of, that's, and also a huge difference there is that there's actually a villain involved in the actual story, working and manipulating from behind the scenes. Even, we do have the big hero fight sort of towards the middle of it, um, but then we need to find out the, the true, uh, the true, uh, the true, uh, I guess, what was it? Architect? Architect behind everything. But then in another twist, he reveals information out to Iron Man and Captain America that Captain America was hiding from Iron Man since Winter Soldier movie about the death of his parents and who killed him. Turns out it was, in fact, Bucky as Winter Soldier, leading to an actual official breakup of the Avengers, only to kind of get back together in a letter at the end. So, uh, I guess now, let's, let's, what, what were your guys' general thoughts on the plot and the script of this film? So, uh, Kat, we'll start with you. Um, oh, wait, thought... also, Spider-Man shows up. <laughs> you forgot the most important he part. He does? Right? I didn't notice. <laughs> um, I thought that there was a lot of different pieces of story going on, and that they actually came together rather well. Um, the, nothing in the story really felt shoehorned in. Um, my my greatest worry going in that is that they were gonna try and like shove Black Panther in there, um, and like but not really do it well. And th- I think they actually did a really great job with making all of the stories interconnect in just the right way to make the plot feel very solid. The introduction of Black Panther also worried me as well. Yeah, I was scared, but then it turned out pretty good. The only thing that I didn't really, I couldn't get behind was the ending. Um, the the ending was so weak. The ending made no sense to me. Now, um, which which ending? The so they everybody everybody gets arrested, um, put into a supermax underwater prison, um, but Tony busts them out, kind of. Um, and then they just, and then he gets a letter from Steve and that's it. That's the ending. Um, and that doesn't really make sense to me because these are, all these good guys went to jail basically. Um, and then they're all freed and then magically nothing's going to happen to them. And Ross isn't going to go back after them. And we're just supposed to leave it there. Well, I think, I think the implication was is that they're all hiding in Wakanda now with Black Panther. That was, that was the, that was the, the implication that I got with that ending scene was that Steve broke them out and now they're all hiding in Wakanda um, under under Black Panther's auspices. That's a really See, good... I, I that's the... that's going to mess I up Ant-Man get... too. That is really going to mess up get the, uh, I didn't get the impression that they were all in Wakanda, but I did get the impression that they were all in hiding. I, I figure... I mean, some of them probably went with Steve and Bucky, but, you know, I don't think that, uh, say, for instance, Natasha is going to be... Uh, content to be to be hiding out in Wakanda or anything like that. Yeah, and and Clint and Scott have families. Um I don't see them going to Wakanda in hiding. Like the to me the whole they were put in prison and then got busted out and then leaving it there was a really 
poor decision um, in terms of a place to leave it because it just, to me, it just doesn't make sense as a place to leave it because now you're going to have to explain everything in the next film. Whatever the next film is, is going to have to explain what happens to all of them. And isn't the next film Doctor Strange? Yeah. Yeah, but that's that's probably not going to touch on anything from this. The next one I think that would likely touch on this is um, probably actually Black Panther's movie. I I'm, should take a quick peek at the schedule. I'm thinking it's either it's either going to be it's either going to be touched on in Black Panthers Black Panthers movie or in Agents of Shield. Yeah, but um, here's, now here's the problem with that theory though, Gonzo, is that the Agents of Shield like and this is kind of the problem with with, with I, I feel with their Netflix series and their TV series is that. For whatever reason, they're not connecting to the movies like I think people want them to. They don't oh. feel like they're there. Even though they are there and they have cameos and they mention things, they're not really bringing it up. And especially in Age of the Shields because they're in that huge, that Inhumans arc that no one gives a shit about. <laughs> uh, speak for yourself, Kimasabi, but that's a discussion for a different series, for a different show. Okay, but, um, so, so here's the movie timeline as it's coming up, all right? Next is Doctor Strange. Which will not touch on this at all, I don't expect. Next is, after that, is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which definitely will not touch on this at all. <laughs> then Spider-Man Homecoming, which will probably touch on it at least a little bit. Then Thor Ragnarok, who fucking knows. Then Black Panther. Then Avengers Infinity War. So we may actually not see this issue with the various Avengers in hiding resolved until 2018. Okay. So, um, so anyway, putting the train back on the tracks. Brian, what were your uh, thoughts on the on the script of the, of the, of the on the? Ugh, I'm getting tongue tied on the script of the film. Well, the script is solid. Um, uh, the ending. Uh, when I mentioned like the letter to Tony like in that apology I didn't like that I thought like it was just trying to be all like see we're still kind of friends I was like no that's not you almost killed him you know (laughs) like you can't just magically make that up in a letter but it it, for all intents and purposes I thought it you know was very strong I didn't but I'm going to be one probably the only people that didn't like the fact that Spider-Man was shoehorned into this film and I know why Spider-Man was shoehorned into this film to promote their them getting the rights back and getting his own movie again, but it just it just felt very awkward when you know he's like I have a, and Tony's like I have a plan and he goes to Queens and he visits you know Peter and then a very young Aunt May and I didn't <laughs> like the fact that the whole joke that Tony was making was like I'm gonna fuck your aunt um, for the longest yeah, period that was of time. A- that was a bit. That was a bit much. Although I have to say, I have to say, I am increasingly amused by uh, what some people have called the Benjamin Button effect of Aunt May in each reboot of these movies. For me, it's the, so the, weird. The, I, I found the script to be very enjoyable and very well paced, and and this is probably going to seek into talking about the cast, but also exceptionally well acted, especially the dynamic between Captain America and Iron Man. Uh, the standout moment for me, you know, everybody talks about the moment that we saw in the trailer. You know, I'm sorry, Tony, but he's my friend. Well, so is I. The real shining moment for me, as far as the 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 portrayal, the acting in this film and the portrayals, was the final knockdown dragout fight between Cap and Iron Man. And Cap has knocked off Tony's helmet, and he raises up his shield like he's going to bring it down to decapitate Tony. And Tony throws his arms up, but Cap instead 
basically drives the shield into the, the, the armor's power core and shuts it down. And you can see just this look in Robert Downey Jr.'s face like, oh my god, he, he, I seriously thought that he was going to kill me. And then Tony grabs, well, Cap grabs Bucky and they're, they're shambling away and Tony's just like, you know, that shield doesn't belong to you, my father made it, you don't deserve it, and Cap just lets it drop. And just that whole moment from, from you know, the, the end of the fight to Cap abandoning the shield just had such an emotional gravitas to it that I've not seen in a comic book film since, like, the Dark Knight trilogy. So what what about you guys? Were there any standout moments like that to you guys? Well, I mean, in terms of acting wise, yeah, I mean that's a pretty good moment because it was a buildup of a lot of different things. Uh, and truth be told, both in those characters in that situation actually were wrong. Like uh, Steve should not have hid the fact that Hydra did kill his parents. Um, and but at the same time, Tony let you know all of his anger and grief that he's been probably suffering over these last several films completely take himself over and try to you know you know, kill uh, Bucky at that time, letting the bad guy almost get away, and basically letting, truth be told, the bad guy did win in this film. You gotta sort of remember that. Like, at the very end, he did break up the Avengers. Even though with a I'm sorry letter and a new cell phone, they're not together right now, and they're not in the same place and not in the same They are never, ever, ever, ever getting back together. (laughs) Until another film. Until, until, you know, an alien invasion. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh that's a good point to uh to bring up actually. This is as far as I can remember of any of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, basically the first one where they actually basically lost. I mean, the entire point, the entire plan of the villain, he didn't want to um he didn't want to kill them he didn't have some sort of master plan to take over the world or anything he wanted to drive apart the bonds the bond of the team he wanted to make them turn on each other he wanted to make them distrust each other and he succeeded completely at his goal uh i think to me like the the best reveal in the entire movie was uh when Tony and uh, Steve and Bucky are all walking into the room full of the super soldiers and they're all dead because Zemo killed them because they were never part of the plan at all. Like they were, they were the MacGuffin essentially. Um, <laughs> Which always, that, was, all, that bothered me a little bit too, because it was revealed during that whole thing that someone, uh, a friend of mine pointed this out to me going, so when, when Howard Stark was <coughs> killed, it was to steal what looked like to be the super soldier serum. To which point he he remarked to me going, so, you know, who made that? Who made those? Because the original creator died. I was like, I don't know. Like, is this a mystery for another <laughs> I, film? I think, or is this just I think that was a callback to had? Agent Carter. Because if you remember, Howard says that there were some samples of Steve's blood that were floating around somewhere that he was trying to get a hold of. Well, I yeah. thought... Anyway, he had he had gotten the sample and gave it to Peggy, and Peggy destroyed it. Yeah. But he also said that that wasn't the only one. Oh, okay. I, I didn't think it was like a, a pure super soldier serum. I thought it was more a specific winter soldier kind of serum. Yeah, yeah well, there was that, 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 when he mentioned that, it confused me, because I thought, I was like, well, was it a super soldier? I was like, well, how did they be like, you know, how did they turn out the way they did when they got injected with it? I was like, ah, that's a good question, too. I thought it, I personally, I just thought it looked like delicious, delicious popsicle stuff to be frozen. And, <laughs> anyway. Just shoved into your body. <laughs> anyway, so, so Kat, were there any standout moments to the film for you? 
Um, I think my favorite, other than the comedic moments, which there were many great standout comedic moments, um, I guess maybe there were two. Um, obviously, when Rhodey goes down was very dramatic. Um, I, I really appreciated the fact that when Rhodey is going down, it's not just Tony trying to save him, it's also Falcon trying to save him, because they're all friends. But somebody pointed out to me that um, Falcon's partner, when he was in the military, died that exact way. So for Falcon to watch somebody else going down like that was probably quite traumatizing for Falcon. And, and in a way that he indirectly caused. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I really thought that was a great moment. But then I also really, I kind of got chills um, after uh, T'Challa's father, T'Chaka, was that his name? That's correct. Uh, King T'Chaka dies. And um, and T'Challa is just sort of like sitting there kind of spaced out and Black Widow talks to him for a little bit. And then he basically goes on a war path. Like, you know he's about to go get revenge and he's about to fuck everyone's shit up. But it was just like this great moment of how he's not, you know, he admits that he's not as pious as other people and stuff like that. You know, I, I'm just going to say, I think Black Panther is the breakout character of the movie because, uh, I, and I think, uh, I think they kind of wanted Spider-Man or thought Spider-Man might be the most, uh, the, the most popular or exciting new addition to the movie. Um, but I don't know personally, I think, uh, I think T'Challa kind of stole, uh, kind of stole this one honestly all right well we'll we'll get into, into characters in just a moment but john what, what was the standout moment for you in this film oh uh good question probably uh if if i had to pick one standout moment it, it would have to be um the moment when uh ant-man turns into giant man for the first oh time God. and just starts cackling madly <laughs> because i just <laughs> I don't know. There was something just about the whole. <laughs> just, I don't know. It's 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 exactly what I would do in that situation. <laughs> I I screamed a little bit in my theater, and I was the only one. <laughs> he did seem awfully surprised that it worked. Now, I, yeah. So so now I I haven't seen Ant Man yet, which I'm going to change now that I've seen this movie. What? I want to because well, I always thought Ant Man was stupid. I thought the I thought the the, the, the trailer looked stupid. And I did, when we did the show on Ant Man, I just wasn't able to make it because of uh, my work schedule that weekend, so I never got around to seeing it. So, but I'm going to change that. So now, so this is the first time that he's actually done that. That wasn't in the first Ant Man movie. No, this Correct. this is the debut of Giant Man. This is this is the first time he's done this in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Which, which made it even better, because I think anybody who knows the comics or knows stuff about the comics like me was like, okay, I know he can turn giant at some point in time. I wonder if they're going to save that for Ant-Man 2. And I was kind of thinking they would save it for Ant-Man 2. And then they didn't. <laughs> they and accidentally spoiled that whole process with those Funko Pop toys because they released a giant man uh, in the movie costume. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, that, I did. Yeah, so when I, did. When, when, when I saw that coming up, I was like, I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for it. And there it is. Now, now cat has, now is all like, it must be mine. Gonna, oh, my I, oh my God. It's another one I'm going to have to buy. <laughs> and I love Tony's reaction. Okay. Does anybody else have any hidden powers that they'd like to disclose? <laughs> Yeah, especially since he was like, anyone on our side? 
Okay, so I guess that leads us now into uh, talking about the the cast, and uh, we had uh, two uh, new additions to the the roster in this film, two really big ones. Uh, Of course, Black Panther and Spider-Man. So, uh, starting our discussion with uh, Black Panther, I've got to say, in the comics, I've never liked Black Panther as a character. I always thought that he was very much just a self-righteous asshole, but I well, yeah, because he was <laughs> for a but, long time. <laughs> but uh, you know, but T'Challa in this film, uh, I found to be not only very sympathetic, but I, I but you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, he's more collective. Yeah, he's film. he's yeah he's 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 he's. He has his his kind of he, he still has kind of the whole oh I'm a prince little streak about him but it's not as pronounced I found him human that's the word I'm looking for much more human in this film than I ever <coughs> found him in the comics much more believable as a person and uh, calling up the, the the cast list here let me find it let me find it let me find it well it's the Disney version of like we oh, need we to go. make this character relatable kill their parents done. Yeah. But uh, Chadwick Boseman's performance, I thought, was <laughs> really spectacular, especially the moment where uh, where T'Chaka first dies and T'Challa's there cradling him, and and you know, and saying uh, I think it was Baba. I think is it was was the word the the word I don't know I don't I don't speak whatever language it was that they were using. I, I I I presume I that they that they didn't just make that up out of whole cloth. They I, I presume they were using some African uh, actual African language uh, for that scene. But like you know he, well, I mean Baba Baba sounds kind of like a, a word you would use yeah, for father um, in multiple but, uh, languages. You know it just you know he, he really came across as being actually traumatized in that scene, and I I, I really think Chadwick Boseman did a great job uh, in this film. What about you? Well, I was just saying, I think he's the breakout character of the whole movie. So, yeah, I definitely, definitely liked his performance. It was it was very interesting because this was you know, like one of the characters I'm not sure how we make the transition from uh, comic to film. Um, and I sort of liked where they were they're going with him here, being that calm and collective prince. Because, like, even though, like, he said, even though he goes on a tirade, he doesn't necessarily go on a tirade. He goes, I have made a mission. This is what I'm going to do. And then he went out and did it, and like with no, you know, and and no questions asked, and just straightforward with it, and understood the consequences that were going to come with it as well. Like he had no issues going. Yes, if I kill him and you guys are mad at me, fine. But he's dead because you he can my get father. over it. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I, I like that uh, T'Challa had a full character arc within the span of the film. In the span of the film, he was introduced, suffered a trauma, went for revenge, fought bravely, made friends, and then at the end realized um, that Bucky wasn't his enemy. Bucky was a victim, and he could actually sympathize with somebody that he had been trying to kill for an entire film, um, and then harbored him. And I thought that was a really great, um, like a just a nice whole circle that came for him. Because some of the others, with how the the ending was so open, it didn't feel like very much got resolved. But I feel like his story arc was the fullest. 
Oh, absolutely. And and to take it even further than that, not only did he get over his vendetta against Bucky when he realized 100% for sure that, oh, no, Bucky isn't the one who killed my father, he even spared the life of the, not, not just spared the life, saved the life of the person who actually did kill his father when he tried to, when Zemo tried to take his own life because... He saw what vengeance had done to Zemo, and he was just like, oh, shit, this could be the same path I'm headed down uh, if yeah, I'm not feel, careful. But at the same I time, like he, had, he had to pay for his crimes in some way. He's like, well, you can't do it while, while you're dead. The land of living, like, what's the line? Like, the land of living still has use for you or something? The, the, like, li- the, the living, living are not are... done with you yet. Yeah. 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 That was it. He, he had kind of like an opposite... Uh, uh, story or a character progression from Cap, where Cap has always been this um, noble Boy Scout kind of character who has slowly become slightly darker, um, certainly in this movie, more morally compromised for the sake of um, his personal wants, which is to save his friend rather than the greater good. Whereas um, T'Challa went, I'm going to go take care of this guy because it's, it's you know, revenge and my father and all of this. And then he came to see the greater good um, and became more noble character through his journey. You, you know what it ultimately comes down to? It's that T'Challa's arc in this movie was an arc of maturing. And both Tony and Steve's arc was exactly the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> Because, I mean, a lot of their conflicts really could have been solved if they had actually talked things out just a little bit more. <laughs> uh, that's okay. why they're, That's why Tony's kind of a bad friend. I mean, <laughs> and and just sort of that. Now, the next character of Spider-Man was, I know, I know a lot of people talked about him, and he was mentioned, and everyone was really excited for him. But to me, again, I mentioned earlier, he was, I felt like he was really just shoehorned to be in this film to promote his upcoming movie. Like, if you remove Spider-Man and had a different character there, let's say Daredevil. They got Daredevil from the Netflix series to show up. You still have pretty close to the same film, and I think you probably... Yeah, well, I take that back. You probably wouldn't uh, bring up Daredevil because he is pretty much a vigilante. But my point is that the Spider-Man, even though he was there and he had some cool moments and cool lines, didn't... and didn't feel excited and it could also be that this is what the fourth spider-man we've had so maybe we're yeah, well, over spider-man it's 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 the third actor who's played him but it's the four this is the sixth movie that spider-man has shown up in since uh since toby Maguire. so yeah it's it, it is kind of like that. It's kind of a diminishing return sort of thing because we we already know what that Spider Man can do whatever a spider can. That's been pretty pretty well established at this point. And and I didn't. And also, this brings up some weird implications <clears throat> that Tony has because Tony found him, and so and reading some of the interviews is like, well, maybe Tony has been keeping track of other people through his AI. You know, keeping track of anyone else who's been showing up, which means Tony's kind of been spying a lot of people. Well, you know, it, there's there's another weird implication or another like weird um, uh, bit of logical or character motivation issue there. Like one of Tony's major things in this movie, uh, one of the major motivating points for him wanting them to sign those accords was, oh, well, here's this uh, this this teenage uh, brilliant science student who got killed because uh, he he got caught in one of our battles. Oh, we need help with one of our battles? Hmm, I'll go after this young, promising, brilliant teenage scientist and throw him <laughs> right in the line of fire. 
Uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting with Spider-Man, um, or rather with Peter Parker, was when he and Tony sort of sat down, and Tony was sort of grilling him about why he did, uh, why he wanted to be a hero in all of this, and um, the conversation very much mirrored the first Captain America film, where Dr. Erskine is sitting down with um, Steve, uh, asking him... Uh, you know, like, why do you want to, do you want to go kill Nazis? And, you know, they're, they're talking about Steve's motivations for wanting to help people. They're very, very similar conversations, um, which I thought was kind of the wrong person to be having that conversation <laughs> because it was sort of like Tony going, oh, well, you, you want to stand up for the little guy and you don't like bullies and, and you think that if you have the power to, to do good, then you should. Um, but that it really felt like it should have been Steve having that conversation with him um, because Tony is just on one side and Cap's on the other in this film. And Tony is not on the side of sticking up for the little guy. Yeah, Tony makes Tony makes several really douche moves in this movie. And mm-hmm. the, the one that stands out to me is comes near the beginning. It's the scene where they're talking and he's, he's brought the antique pens. And he's just about convinced Steve to sign the accords, and then he lets slip, oh, I've got uh, Wanda under house arrest. And Steve is like, dude, what the fuck? Well, not only did he have Wanda under house arrest, he didn't tell Wanda that she was going to be on under house. So she, he was keeping that. She had to find that out through Vision uh, trying to cook for her. You know, and that, and it just, that that's one of those things where like, they, the pratfalls or something like this. Yeah, and I don't want to make Tony the villain in this movie because the movie didn't want to make him the villain in this movie. But at the same time, he sort of leaned that way a couple of times. And I, hopefully he does sort of figure it out later on. But in this film, it's just he his guilt sort of just blinded him the entire time to where he wasn't listening to any other side. And then bringing in Spider-Man, uh, I felt make Spider-Man extremely naive because during the during the fight, it's like you have no idea what's going on. Spider Man's like, Haha, Iron Man would say that. Uh, told me you were going to say that, so I'm not going to listen to you. Despite the fact you're Captain America, I was like, if it wasn't my shoes, and he's like, you don't know what's going on. I'm like, you know what, Cap? I probably don't because we are we're all fighting. We're all supposed to be good guys. Uh, let's take a moment, you know, bring it all together. I'll get I'll get some marshmallows. We'll make a campfire. Well, let, let's not forget, too, that it's established in this movie that uh, Peter has only been Spider-Man for six months. True. he actually specifically says, I've had these abilities for six months. Actually, no, he's had the powers for six months. He's probably been going out there as Spider-Man for even less time than that. Because if this is still following the same narrative arc, he still would have had to have had the powers, use them selfishly, get Uncle Ben unintentionally killed, and then get guilt. Um, okay, so the other new uh, cast member that uh, has been introduced, let's talk about Daniel Brühl. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, because it's got an umlaut, and I never know what to do with an umlaut. Uh, as helmet. <laughs> no, you make omelets. <laughs> you make omelets. <laughs> One. Anyway, not side stepping. Come on, guys. Yeah. So hel- yeah, Daniel Brühl as Helmet Zemo, uh, who very different from the comics character, uh, but also probably one of the most effective uh, villains that we've seen. Uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe so far because, you know, he's, he's n- unlike, you know, a lot of the previous films who are very much, you know, kind of, mm, I'm, I'm, I'm evil because I can. Watch as I troll my mustache. He actually has some very 
sympathetic motivations for what he's doing. And he also, as has been pointed before, he manages to get largely what he wants by the end of the film. Well, he played. He he's another one that played it very uh, low key, which is probably uh, better for the character they were going for. Um, I do wonder about the fact, though, they <laughs> sort of left out like background information. So I was trying to figure out how this guy could track down Hydra agents, build like an elect- uh, electron magnet device to let the power go out, also have the ability to create like a very very realistic looking masks of Bucky so he can bomb a place, get a bomb. Like, he did a lot of background stuff. I wish they kind of went into a little bit more, but I felt like they didn't did. They establish, didn't they establish that he was, like, ex-Special Forces in Sokovia, though? They, they said, yeah, he was ex-Special Forces, but at the same time, it's like, okay, you're that means you're a soldier. Even at that point, like, where are you getting all this other, like, technical aspect of it? Because I know a lot no, of ex-Special Forces, the guys that probably don't know how to build an <laughs> electromagnetic bomb. What, they don't I cover that in the feel... first day? <laughs> I... Maybe Google helped. His part of the story sort of feels like a Jason Bourne movie. <laughs> Legitimately, like, he he feels like a Jason Bourne character or something like that, where he's off kind of doing, like, a spy thing um, and setting up all of these other things that are going on while the Avengers are fighting. Um, and the tone of his part of the story feels quite different from the rest. The rest of it sort of feels like a superhero flake, and his sort of feels like a spy flake. And then they just sort of come together at the end. I mean, um, not, but yeah. I really didn't. I didn't know what to make of his character, and he was the most effective villain that they've had so far. And I was really, really relieved that it wasn't just another guy in a suit who manipulates people by having a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, he's like I said, he's effective for what he did, and he played. I think he played that part extremely well, and and keeping it where where it was. Um, I'm pretty sure a lot of us are disappointed. He doesn't have the hood on, but yeah, you never know. There, he might show. He might show back up. Again, speak for yourself, Kimasabi. Even in the comics, I thought the hood was dumb as hell. <laughs> There's still time in the sequel for him to fall headfirst in a vat of glue. I'm keeping my fingers crossed for it. <laughs> All right, so let's 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 take a moment and talk about some characters that haven't really had some time in the, a whole lot of spotlight uh, in the MCU so far, but got a, 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 some time to shine in this film. So let's start with uh, Elizabeth Olsen as uh, the Scarlet Witch, who I feel like uh, she really came into her own in this film. Wanda, no, Wanda, yes. <laughs> that was that was her whole character. Wanda, yes. Yeah, she she was very much like I am. I I'm very sorry for what I did. Uh, I don't want to do like you know I'm very I'm questioning my things. Oh wait, you want to keep me in my room? I'm out, bitches. Like that's. <laughs> <laughs> I like the dynamic between her and Vision, um, and I like that there was this sort of. Uh, I almost don't really know how to describe it. Like you could you could kind of tell with the way Vision was kind of carrying himself that he really didn't want to to have to you know keep Wanda under house arrest. And you also really got, I, at least I got, a real sense of, you know, a feeling of betrayal from her when she discovered what, what he was up to. Uh, which was more than repaid in full when she slammed him through, I want to say, the Earth's fucking mantle. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was, that was beautiful. But I, I, I really feel like Elizabeth Olsen really came into her own as, a, as, a, as an actor in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in this film. I really felt like we got to see a lot more depth to her character than we got to see in Age of Ultron. 
And, and I'm glad they're both, they were introduced at the same time so that they could be in this movie together so that the two most OP people that they've introduced so far could fight each other. Because can you imagine if one existed in the MCU, but the other didn't yet? That'd be very, yeah, we were very one-sided at that point. It's like, look at all of us time. Well, we have Vision who can do basically everything. Well, shit. Well, everything <laughs> except for Cook, apparently. <laughs> Google did not help him. <laughs> he is Google. Then, but, like, and, and what's weird about Vision is that, like, in this film is that he played the... He, he sort of did play sort of the trope of... Because he's an android of the cold calculating. Uh, not, and I don't mean by cold as in he was a terrible person, but at the same time, he was the one that, like, issued up all the different facts, made the logical decision that, yes, we should do this, and then it was a lot, in his mind, it was a logical decision to make sure to keep Wanda safe. Now, he was, that's the thing, like, he was convinced about the house arrest for Wanda was to keep her safe. Not necessarily, like, how, and, like, he's, how bad that was, but in his mind, that made the most sense. That was, you know, the logical choice. And you don't see the his flaw break until towards the end of the film when he accidentally shoots War Machine. The, the one thing that I didn't like about Vision was, and maybe this was something that was intentional, but, uh, you know, you, the, the way that he was trying to kind of convince Wanda to stay under house arrest... Uh, came off just a little, uh, a little abusy, uh, to me. I was kind of like, uh, you know, if, if, if somebody were to write a think piece saying that, that Vision's acting a bit like an abuser in this scene, I'd, I'd be inclined to agree with them, because this is a little creepy. He kind of gave me a Dr. Manhattan vibe. Go on. No, I can say that. From, from Watchmen? Like, no, I want to hear that Dr. Manhattan. Sorry, is that not his name? No, that's I mean. just, no, no, I said go on, because you're the first person out of all my friends I've talked to about this film that has made that connection, and I want to know more. I, I don't know, it's just that sort of, like, pure logic. He understands so much about the universe and how it all works, and thinks about it extremely logically, um, and doesn't quite know how to make... Um, he's not quite uh, good enough at making the human connection and understanding the human emotion he, uh, side of it. He knows the so, he knows the who, the what, the where, the when, but he's he gets stuck on the why. Right. So he just sort of gives off this vibe of being all knowing without really understanding. Hmm. Fascinating. Uh, what about you? What about Brian and John? What, are you, what did you guys think of uh, Wanda and Vision? Well, I, I gave my piece. God, they were adorable. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I see what they're setting up for it, and my my little inner shipper heart is gleeful about seeing how this develops once they get past the whole, you know, thing that was going on for I, w- I was arrested. <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked the part where... Um, where, where Vision is actually surprised that uh, Wanda managed to distract him to the ex- that, that the whole thing with Wanda distracted him so much that he made that mistake with War Machine and Tony was all like I didn't think it was possible to distract you and he, he's just like so confused about it and he's just like I didn't think it was possible either <laughs> okay another character who's back after a very long absence is uh, William Hurt as Thunderbolt Ross uh, who, we have not yeah. seen, who, we, who we have not seen since the Incredible Hulk in 2008, and uh, can I just say he to me he's just as much a douche in this movie as he was in the other one. Well, well that's, nobody ever likes General Ross. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's General Ross. Like the moment he he comes back on the screen going, "I want you to do this for the government," we're all like, "Dick." <laughs> <laughs> 
Like, and, and the thing is, is like, like I don't know. Maybe it's because just that's the way Ross has been written for so many years in the comics. But you know, I'd like to see. You know, like to, to to again to bring up Agents of Shield. Compare Thunderbolt Ross to Glenn Talbot from Agents of Shield. They're both characters who represent the government and who are very loyal to you know their their, their country and their core and their service. But whereas Talbot is at least willing to hear all and consider alternative points of view, Ross is like, uh, "No, you're going to do this my way, or I'm going to break my foot off in your ass." Which you I've will never, listen to my mustache of authority. <laughs> which I've never, I've never liked that kind of character, and it was so satisfying at the end of the film where he calls Tony about the raft, the raft breakout, and Tony's like, "Please hold, no, no, no." <laughs> well, you think if he's insufferable uh, yeah. now, just wait till he becomes Red Hulk. I was about to say. Please, please, I hope that never happens in this film. Um, I'm glad Ross was in it because it's the first time we've actually had a throwback like that. You know, bringing back a character from um, Edward Norton's Hulk movie. Um, I'm just a little disappointed that they didn't reference it because they had the perfect moment to do it. Um, when he asks, you know, where's where's the Hulk and Thor? If I lost a two-ton nuke, you'd bet your ass there'd be consequences. But he did. He lost the two-ton nuke known as two-ton nuke known as the Hulk <laughs> during that film. Like he fucked all that shit up. Mm-hmm. Um, not not only did he lose the one nuke, he created another. <laughs> right. Like so much of this stuff is his fault, um, and the movie didn't acknowledge that. And that would have been the perfect moment to do it and to tie that movie in. But I feel like, um, and they've said this in an interview, they were essentially creating a new version of Ross. Like, they sort of wiped the last version. Um, So it's a slightly, it's like a variation on the character, and they just kept the actor without really acknowledging his previous involvement. Yeah, there's there's some issues with that Hulk movie, so... The, the the whole thing with him and his character in that whole scene is that he doesn't really seem to understand exactly how to uh, how to properly apportion blame to begin with because you know yes he was right that uh, New York got kind of trashed but that was more the fault of the Chitari than it was the Avengers and yes he was right about the helicarriers crashing down on Washington D.C. but that's because Hydra had infiltrated Shield without anybody knowing. <laughs> We, we, we do have to be fair and give him Soko- give him Sokovia because yeah, Ultron was created by Tony. So yeah. uh, to we, that uh, that's all on Tony. That's all we'll, on Tony. We'll we'll throw Ross a bone and say, okay, Sokovia, yeah, that's that's our bad. <laughs> well, but just no, Tony's though. No, yeah, that's not our. That like that's that's Tony. That's Tony and Tony. That's Tony <laughs> with a, with a little bit of banner. <laughs> on the unwilling banner. Yeah, a little bit of unwilling <laughs> um, banner. Can I just say how great it was to have Ant-Man in this film? He <laughs> was having the time of his life. Yeah, he was he was he was pretty great. I I like I said, I I, I thought Ant-Man was was looked stupid when it was first released, but now that I've seen Ant-Man actually in this film, I've got to go back and watch it because he had some of the funniest moments in this film. Like mm-hmm. The, this particular, the scene that stands out is when he shrinks down and he goes inside Iron Man's armor and starts ripping out <laughs> wires. Hey, how's it going? Who the fuck is that speaking? Oh, it's your conscience. We haven't talked in a while. Yeah. <laughs> I was more on the line. Like, I think when he threw the, he shrunk the truck and then threw it and became big, but it was a fuel truck. He's like, oh, I thought that was a water truck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
<clears throat> when he just gets to meet Cap and he just like grabs him because he's like just so psyched up and just like, yeah. ah, like I can't believe you're real. Ah, I have to touch you. Like, <laughs> I, I, I wish I, I wish we'd actually gotten to see more of Ant Man in this film. Um, well, Ant Man which... will return, and Ant Man and the Wasp coming. Blah, 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 blah. Twenty fucking. <laughs> Who fucking knows? <laughs> but like you know, and his giant man and vision vision flash through him. Oh my god! Something just flew in me. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that so does bring funny. up the point where I felt like this is a most CG one of the more CGI heavy films that they've done in a while. That unfortunately I began to notice a lot of. Like, well, I guess that I guess that takes us into presentation. So Brian, yeah, the, I felt like I could tell that that Tony was in a CGI suit more than anything else. And I can tell Spider-Man swinging around was very CGI. When, when he was, also, when he was running next to everyone. Like, I don't know, maybe because of budget constraints or something like that. Even though this had a huge budget to it, to my knowledge. I began to really notice that. And also, for the love of God. Alright, fight choreography. The last fight, you know when the last fight, when they were going back and forth between Bucky, Tony, and Cap? That was amazing, right? And I'm pretty sure the other fight scenes in this were really amazing, too. If they would just hold the goddamn camera still. Oh, my God. That was my biggest complaint about the film. Shaky cam everywhere. Mm. Like, so many. And you can even tell when it would hold still for long enough that they were actually shooting a great picture. Like, it was so clear and crisp, and you could see the leaves on the trees. If they would just stop moving. Seriously. And and I and this is just me being a, a fight snob, but, like... It is so much better when you have a kind of a big steady cam and you can see the fight happening and the punches hitting or you know, however it works. It would be great, but like God, just hold it still. We're not all Jason Bourne. <laughs> I I will be so glad to see the end of the shaky cam trend. I know it's gotta end someday. Some <laughs> glorious beautiful day that has to end <laughs> okay put, cal, 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 calm down Cinderella okay put the train back on the tracks <laughs> uh, yeah the, the that was that was one of my big complaints it was was choreography was great but the cinematography was like you know do we really need to have a jump every half a second now there were some moments that were really well shot like the back and forth between uh, cap and Bucky in the stairwell scene. Which I thought was really well shot, and of course the final fight, but the final three-way battle between uh, Tony, Cap, and and Bucky was really well done. Um, I don't know, but the, some of the, the the big airport fight scene, I don't know, some of the camera work there was just not that great, especially when when Giant Man uh, first you know finally made his appearance, you know, and it, it just I don't know, there were there were not a lot of shots that really maybe. Gave me a feeling of Giant Man's giantness. Uh, I guess that must be. I, I mean, I guess that's probably because they had to balance, you know, have Giant Man with all the other characters in the frame. But I don't know. The the Giant Man didn't feel all that large to me. Um, well, I don't think it was supposed to be extremely large, but like he was large enough that he was able to rip off a plane of a wing. So you had that going for you. And the airport fight scene is not really what I'm complaining about because the cinematography of that of those fights I thought were pretty well done because they were able to have a lot wider shots as people were going back and forth. My problems were definitely when uh, it was just whenever they would decide I want to get really close up and doing something. Um, that's the biggest issue because that's when the shit... Like very, like, uh, very opening scenes... Uh, with him, them going after crossbones and going after those guys, that's what bugged me because it was shaky cam all over the place. 
the German scenes when they were fighting down the stairwell. They had some shaky cam in that one too. And a lot of this is also sort of an American fight thing. There's a YouTube video that explains it perfectly between how American editing of fights between what happens usually in Hong Kong is two separate things where we don't show everything. We'll do a cutaway so we don't actually see the hit. So we don't see the hit. We don't process it in our minds. Uh, where they, they will like show a hit, maybe show a hit closer up uh, and anything like that. But because we have to get it done at a certain time, editing has to be done that way and very quickly. Um, Jackie, Ch- there's a wonderful video about how Jackie Chan used to edit, and but the reason he can do it because at the time he got all the money and the time in the world to do it. It's harder when you have a deadline. Yeah. Now, uh, I, and again, I know Cass can laugh at me because apparently I'm the only one who notices, but the music in this film <laughs> was spectacular. Really? Uh, especially, especially in the in the silo uh, chapter of the film where uh, the reveal of of you know of Bucky having killed uh, Tony's parents and the music that followed the fight scene afterwards. You know, when the when the scene needed to be tense, the music was tense. You had the you had all the crescendos in all the right places during the final climactic fight scene. Uh, and especially, you know, when, when when Steve walks away from the from from the Captain America identity and drops the shield, I thought the music was just brilliant in that scene. I did. This is the same shit they've been doing for the last eight years. They haven't changed any music whatsoever. It's dull at this point. Well, we'll have to agree to disagree, I guess. Well, they, they just, it's the same really thing. It is literally like the same chords in every fucking film. I don't care anymore. Well, I mean, there is an argument to be made for if if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, but no, but. that's that's a that's a stupid argument in terms of music <laughs> because it, it I don't I don't hear it and don't register it. It's not making an impression. That means you need to fix it. All right, okay, we'll put this topic on the on on the the roster for a possible show idea down the line. Wow, Brian, you and I are really filling out the schedule just with the two of us. We're just going <laughs> to kill each other by the end of this year. <laughs> Nerd to the third power, civil war. <laughs> okay, so well, anyway, we're running a little bit short, so let's start winding things down. Let's let's give our final general thoughts on the film. What did what what were your your final your final overall impressions of the of Civil War. I'll go first real quick. Um, I liked it for it was I think one of the stronger films that the Marvel Universe has had, um, and I'm being biased because I'm a Captain America fan, but definitely one of the I think they're they're I think their strongest film films. I like this better than I liked Age of Ultron two, uh, and I like this better than um, Winter Soldier. And I was I thought Winter Soldier was one of the best Captain America movies they had made so far. Um, I mean, out of the two, but still. Uh, so no, I really I did enjoy the film. Okay, Kat, what about you? Um, I loved this film. Um, I thought all the characters were just really solid. The story was really solid. It was really fun ride. Uh, again, I was a little disappointed by the the lack of closure at the end, um, and the fact that we're gonna have to wait for however many films to get any kind of closure for these characters. But uh, I'm I was so happy to see all of them that I didn't even matter. It didn't even matter that much. Okay, John, what about you? I mean, uh, as I said before, I've enjoyed all of the Captain America movies, probably more so than than most of the other standalone Avenger character movies, and this is no exception. Uh, Cap American Captain America one, two, and three have all been really, really excellent movies. If I had to pick a favorite, it'd still be two, Winter Soldier. But uh, this this kept up the good trend okay well i think this so far is my favorite captain america film i will say uh as far as the closure thing it definitely felt like a setup film 
Um, the, I think that I think that's because this is the first film of Phase Three. I think we're going into now, so I think that might be why. But uh, like I said, it's definitely my favorite Captain America film so far, and uh, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this film, and I can't wait to see uh, what comes next. Although I am kind of a little, one thing that kind of saddens me about this movie is uh, I think Chris Evans he's only signed on to do uh, the next two Avengers film, then he's done with the character, which that makes me sad. So, because I think he's been a really great Captain America. But, I think it makes uh, you, you know, sad. Just talk to Chris Evans. <laughs> <laughs> is he? Is he? Is he? Thinking about coming back for more films? All I know is that he said he's willing to do it, but if uh, they want to pass the shield on to someone new, he said he's willing to do that as well. All right, because I remember I remember reading an interview that he did somewhere where he was like, "No, I'm 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 doing the two I'm doing the next two Avengers films, and then I'm just done. I'm walking away." So if he's if he's if he's gone back on that, that's news to me. Well, it's not so, so gone back; it's more long done stuff. Like, no, I'm having a really good time. So. <laughs> Uh, I will say one character that I am disappointed didn't get to show up in this movie, Sally Floyd. But you know that's that's you that's are for... the only one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I probably am. So, uh, but you know, we'll, we'll you know, like I said, that's 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 my one quibble. And if if, if 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 my one quibble about the film is something so minor, then you know, it says something about the quality of the rest of the film that it's just spectacular. So anyway, this is the part of the show where we give our final ratings on the film. As always, our ratings are from best to worst. See it now. Wait for matinee. Wait for DVD. Wait for cable. Don't even bother. And Brian's rating. Fuck this movie. So, uh, Kat, let's start with you. What's your final rating? Um, You should probably go see this film. You should probably go see it, like, now. Now. Now sounds good. Yeah. I'm probably going to go see it again as soon as I have free time. Because it was really good. It was really fun. I feel like if I go see it again, I'll catch more things because people were laughing and cheering really loud, and I might have missed a couple lines. So I think, yeah, I'm going to have to see it again. Okay. John, what about you? Uh, you guys should see the movie, and frankly, you probably already have seen the movie if you're listening to this podcast anyway. So yeah, go see it now. I mean, it's a superhero movie. It's 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 spectacle. You should see that on the big screen. All right, Brian? Uh, I would see it again if you already saw it once. I'm curious myself how the 3D conversion worked, because I uh, noticed in this film there wasn't a moment where I went, oh, they made that for 3D. So I'm curious maybe this one might do okay, but uh, I'm probably not going to go see it in 3D. But if you guys want to see it again <laughs> and see it now, go right ahead. And uh, I guess I'll make it unanimous with see it now. So, yeah, this is definitely a, an excellent film and definitely one worth uh, paying good dollar for. So, uh, yeah, so go see it now. So with that, that's all the time that we have for Nerd to the Third Power this week. Uh, thank you as always for tuning in. We'll see you next week. As always, I'm Dr. Gonzo. I'm the cat. I'm Brian. And that leaves me with being John. All right, we'll see you next week. Taka, play us out. <laughs>